Welcome to the Shepherd King Podcast. We exist to equip pastors and leaders in the local church to transcend beyond current culture, to see government through the lens of the gospel, and engage as modeled in the scriptures. So an overview for tonight, I'm going to cover kind of four topics. One is uh, what is government? Two, who is the king? And three, we're going to take a look at Jesus as the shepherd king. And this is an important foundation. Jesus, we know him as the head of the church, but he's also the head of government. And I really want you to look at him as your standard bearer of a king. Then last, we're going to take some practical application. What does this all mean for us here today living in Des Moines? So let's go ahead and get started with what is government? So we're going to rely on a verse from Romans 13 to really set this foundation for us. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. Here's a key part here, everyone. For government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on those who do wrong. And 1 Peter chapter 2, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor, and this is Emperor Nero, as the supreme authority, or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do what is good. So what is government? First off, is an institution of God's. God made it. It is not an institution of man's. This isn't business. Government is an institution of God's. And it is one of his most gracious gifts he's given this fallen world. The Proverbs talk about how it reigns in both the righteous and the unrighteous the same. God gave government to bless both righteous and unrighteous people. When you think of how sin impacted this world, chaos came into this world. And we have a God of God of order. And sin is chaos. And the devil, being the ruler of this age, is a ruler of chaos. And God could have left us to our own vices when sin came into this world and let us live under utter chaos. But in his graciousness, he instituted government to bring some form of order on this side of eternity. Is man's government perfect? No, it's not. But it is better than no government at all. The scariest form of government in the world is anarchy. That is the scariest form of government. And you see time periods of anarchy when the government pulls back and there's absolutely no government presence. We've seen this on the streets of some of our major cities this year when the government authorities pulled back and did not bring the force of law. We saw it in Hurricane Katrina 16 years ago where the United States government was forced to pull out as a Category 5 hurricane came to one of the largest cities in America. And what happened was utter chaos. And government, we are blessed, was properly restored in this country, and we've seen relatively peaceful times in this nation. And Americans have been very blessed that every single time there's election, including this one, November 3, there will be a winner, and there'll be a peaceful transition of power. That has happened since John Adams lost to Thomas Jefferson 
and the early 1800s. There are so many places in the world that do not have that blessing. That governments are there one day and the next day they're gone. And they're terrifying. And they flee to nations like ours for refuge. They flee here. Because they'd rather live under any form of government than not one at all. Government is an institution of God and it is a blessing. Number two, it is the institution of justice. God creates all things with a purpose. Government's purpose is justice. And how important is justice to God? Look to the cross. If God was just merciful, Jesus didn't have to die. God could have just simply said, your sins are forgiven. You don't need to worry about them. But he couldn't. Because that would contradict a key character trait of who God is, justice. Justice had to be served, and he served it on his son. And you think about the cross, it is the symbol that Christians have chosen to represent their faith around the world. No matter where you go in the world today, if they see a cross, the Christian face, the first thing comes to my mind. We as Christians over millenniums have chosen a symbol of justice to symbolize our faith at the root of the gospel. And God displays his character in all creation. And one of the places he displayed his character traits of justice is government. And that's why in Romans 13 it says, when you disobey government, you're disobeying him himself. Justice is a part of God. Number three, it was created for our good. Now, this is something we really got to challenge ourselves in, brothers and sisters. So often we think of government here, we think of government negatively, which is fascinating when you think of a country that has had the least amount of corruption than most countries in the world, but yet we have one of the most negative views of our government. I think a lot of it is because of the freedom to vote. It makes things difficult here. It's put us in a complaining spirit rather than a spirit of gratitude towards the Lord for the beautiful gift of government. Government can be an incredible blessing to its people when it, proper, when it properly works. And uh, the book of Psalms, King David says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. They rejoice. We should rejoice. in government, when it does not do its job properly, is one of the biggest terrors in the world. No serial killer of a person can kill anyone to the level that a wicked government can. Under Nazi Germany, six million Jewish people were executed. Germans on their own could have never gotten anywhere near the, the, the number of people of six million. Under the jurisdiction of the United States Supreme Court, 60 million unborn children have been lost to abortion, and the number's continuing to grow. Would there have been abortion if the government never legalized it, of course there would have been, but not 60 million. Whenever the government sanctions death, it comes in multitudes. We saw in Rwanda in the 90s, government's got the power to kill millions when it does evil, but it's also got the power to save millions. You think about Joseph and Pharaoh working together. 
how many people would have starved to death if Pharaoh did not listen to Joseph and implement the policies that he did. Government is an institution for your good. But beware, it also is the institution that's the most scary. And lastly, this is a novel thought. Those who serve in government are God's ministers. Have you ever thought about the President of the United States as a minister of God before? Have you ever thought about Governor Kim Reynolds as a minister of God? Or that legislator that maybe you don't care as much for as a minister of God? Every one of those people, according to the scriptures, are God's ministers, God's servants for your good. If we would just simply apply these four things to our worldview when we look at government, how much does that change the way we view our government? How much does that change the way we engage on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram? How does that change the way we engage our neighbors in these seasons? Yes, you may disagree with the governing authority, but remember who they are and what institution they represent. I think of Apostle Peter commanding the church to honor the emperor when speaking about Emperor Nero of all people. He says to honor him. Why? Because it had nothing to do with Nero. It had everything to do with the very institution he represents. Honor the emperor. The next I want to look into the king, the shepherd of a nation. I want to spend some time here because this is often why the Bible is tricky when it comes to thinking about government. Every single example of government in the Bible is a monarchy. So whenever you want to study government from God's perspective, it's um, King Solomon, King David. Well, who is the king? The king is the shepherd of government. They are the ones that direct government where it is going to go. They are a shepherd of a nation. Just like a pastor shepherds the church, the king shepherds the institution of government. And these are just some examples from the Bible. Pharaoh, Caesar, the king of Nineveh, the emperor of Persia, the emperor of Babylon, king of Sodom, kings of Judah, kings of Israel, and king Herod. And I just scratched the surface. Just scratched it. But if we're truly going to understand our government today from a biblical worldview, we really need to break down who is the king today. And this is very important for us because the majority of them you vote for here. In a monarchy, it's pretty simple. If you're the oldest son, you're king. And whether you like them or not, they're king till they die. That's how it works. In this land, we choose the king. So who is the king today? Well, to establish this, we're going to look at the six powers of the king. These are the powers that are given to them by God, and I'm going to point them out in the Bible where you can see them. The king was the lawmaker, the CEO, the chief judge, the commander of armies, the head of state, and the sovereign. So let's start with the lawmaker. I'm going to take a look at a verse in Deuteronomy 30 to help us to see the power of the law. The law can't save. The law is important. See today as set before you life and prosperity death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances. 
so that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen and you're led astray to bow down to other gods and worship them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and you will not live long in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. Law is not about right and wrong. I'm going to repeat that again. Law is not about being right and being wrong. It's about life and death. God calls something wrong because it leads to death. That's why. God calls something right because it leads to life. And we don't see it that way. God is just some old rule maker that lives very far away and we don't understand his rules. He's that overbearing parent that we want to rebel against. That's not our God. Our God wants us to experience life and his graciousness. He gave us the law to see it. And he created an entire institution to make it for both the righteous and the unrighteous the same. Why? Because he wants people to experience life. It is a gracious gift, the law. It can't save you, not because the law is the problem, it says in Romans, because we're the problem, not the law. And when we look at our government, we need lawmakers that'll point people to life and protect them from death. That's their job. Can the law 100% prevent death? Unfortunately, no. We've known that since the beginning of time. But it can show people the way. The law's a guide. It's a protector. That power today rests in the state legislature, and the U.S. Congress. 435 representatives of the United States Congress divided by 700,000 people in each state. The state of Iowa sends four members to the U.S. House of Representatives. This congressional district is currently represented by a woman named Cindy Axney. The United States Senate is the other chamber of Congress. Every state sends two U.S. senators. The state of Iowa is represented by Senator Joni Ernst and Senator Chuck Grassley. All members of the U.S. House of Representatives are up for re-election every two years. U.S. Senators are up every six years. So in Iowa, that means all four, four U.S. Representatives will be voted on this year. United States Senator Joni Ernst is on her sixth year as a senator, so she is up for re-election. The Iowa legislator works similarly. There is 100 members of the Iowa House of Representatives and 50 members of the Iowa Senate. The state of Iowa is divided into 50 Senate districts based on a population of 60,000 people. Each Senate district is then split in half by 30,000 people and has two members of the State House of Representatives. And it is drawn by a nonpartisan commission to make sure there's no gerrymandering in the state of Iowa. This year in Iowa, we will elect 25 state senators and 100 representatives. And that happens every two years. And these individuals collectively have to work together to pass law, making law passing very difficult. When you have a king, and they're a good king like King David, a monarchy works pretty well. Only got one person to convince, you're going to get good laws. But when you read your Bible, you find out very quickly that uh, there's not that many King Davids. And most of them are very wicked. And that's hold true throughout history. And what we've found with monarchies is that you get more wicked public policy over time. So our founders took an experiment here. 
They said, we're going to let 535 people figure it out in Washington and 150 people in Des Moines. And they collectively figure out what causes life and what causes death. They are the institution of law. So when you go to your ballot box, that is what you are discerning when you vote for members of the legislature and the U.S. Congress. The next power of the king is the CEO. Now, the CEO, I want you to kind of think of it this way. With the legislature, you kind of got the governing board. They're the 30,000-foot view. The CEO is the one who implements the policies. So here's King, here is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, acting as a CEO in this moment. Now keep in mind, he does all six. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Pharaoh's implementing his policy. In, this, in the United States of America, the CEO is the governor of Iowa and the president of the United States. And they have a cabinet that oversees the bureaucracies that implement the policy set forth by the legislator. So the legislator will draw parameters for what does foster care look like? When does someone get removed from the home? When did a family cross that abuse line? The executive branch will determine what does that removal process look like? And the governor appoints the director of the Department of Human Services. The governor of Iowa oversees a $14 billion budget. The president of the United States oversees a $3 trillion budget, making Amazon look tiny. The king's the chief judge. Spent a lot of time on this one. The country's spending some time on it this evening. But I want to take a look at some verses from Solomon. It's very timely that we're studying Proverbs right now. Uh, let's take a look at when Solomon asked for this wisdom that resulted in the book of Proverbs. 1 Kings 3, 18 through 13. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too numerous to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an obedient heart to judge your people and discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now, please the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, Because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to understand justice, I will therefore do what you asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so there's never been anyone like you before and there never will be again, never in addition, I'll give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no man in any kingdom would be equal to you your entire life. King Solomon knew the challenge that he faced. And the one that weighed on his heart most was that judgment bench. Why? When you think about court decisions and you're the king, you're not hearing every single court decision in the land. You couldn't possibly. Which ones are you hearing? You're hearing the ones that have gone through multiple appeals. Think about when Paul eventually ends up before Caesar. How many courts he had to get through to get to Caesar. King Solomon's the same way. 
And by the time it reaches to you, that means that many lower courts were tricked and didn't know what to do. These aren't the simple black and white cases. These are the ones that nobody else knows what to do. And you can't appeal it any longer because the buck stops at you. So you got to know what to do. And Solomon had a heart for justice. He wanted to do what was right. And he knew that there was nothing this young king could ever understand. So he says, God, only if you give me wisdom could I possibly administer justice. Well, Solomon would develop quite a reputation for this. Kings around the world started hearing about this king that always knew what to do in Israel. And they faced similar challenges. They had hard rulings that they had no clue how to, to rule on. And it was a burden. So they wanted to see what this king of Israel was doing. And so God sends the queen of Sheba to check out Solomon's wisdom. And the Bible gives us an account of this interaction. We're going to look at 1 Kings 10. She said to the king, the report I heard about you in my own country, about your words, about your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. How happy are your men. How happy are your servants of yours who always stand in your presence here in your wisdom. May Yahweh your God be praised. He delighted in you and put you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He's made you king to carry out justice and righteousness. There's a lot in here. The queen of Sheba was blown away by Solomon's rulings. She had never seen such wisdom. She ends up giving glory to God. But who is the blessed recipient? She says, how happy are your men how happy are your servants. It was an incredible blessing to the people of Israel to have such a man with wisdom serve on the judgment bench. And because of it, God is showing eternal love by granting justice. Think about that. He is showing love by granting perfect justice in Israel. Nothing is more aggravating when you watch a court ruling and it's wrong. It hurts people. At this point in Israel, they're issuing perfect righteous judgments. This responsibility today rests with the Iowa Supreme Court and the United States Supreme Court. There is no higher court to appeal in the land. So you wonder why is there so much attention on a Supreme Court nominee? That's why. Because when they rule, it's final. There's nowhere else to appeal. And to these individuals, nine of them that sit in the court, seven in Iowa, highest authority in Iowa law, are to have any hope of administering true justice. It's only going to come if they seek the Lord for wisdom. Because wisdom comes from above. You can have the greatest law degrees you want, the best experience serving in different courts. If you don't get wisdom from the Lord, you'll never be able to resolve these most difficult cases in the land. 
That's why the Supreme Court matters so much. It's more than one issue. It's the array of issues they hear day after day after day. The most difficult decisions, and they're the final say. We do not vote for these positions. The United States Supreme Court is appointed by the President and confirmed by the United States Senate. The Iowa Supreme Court is appointed by a panel and confirmed by the governor. Very different system. And Iowans get a retention vote on Iowa Supreme Court judges. That's why on the back of your ballot, you got a long list of judges and you have to pick yes or no on them. You determine whether or not they continue to serve. That includes the highest court in the land, the Iowa Supreme Court. Commander of armies. And David sent out the army, one third under the command of Jobab and a third under the command of, and so on. Who sent out the army? David did. And you all remember when David got into trouble. It's when all the other kings were off at war and he stayed back, right? Kings often led their people in war. It was the ultimate act of service and it was an incredible sign of humility that I, as your king, am willing to die for you. As the commander of armies, I'm just going to send you to die. When King David decided to stay back, there's a lot of things going on in his heart. And one of them was he's becoming a tyrant. You go in my stead. He lost that humble service that he was known for. Obviously, he repented and returned to that. But the king throughout history has led his armies into war. Today, that rests with the governor of Iowa as the commander of the state's National Guard and the president of the United States as the commander-in-chief. They're the ones that order the military where to go. This next one's where I want to spend some time. It's the head of state. It's often overlooked, but it's become into attention these last four years because character has brought it into attention. The head of state, in my opinion, is the most important role of government because it largely sets the direction of a nation. And I want to show you some examples from the Bible on that. Every single king of Israel begins with this description. Nabad, son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Judah's king Esau. He reigned over Israel two years. Nadab did what was evil in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his father and the sin he had caused Israel to commit. From those two verses, I can determine how the whole rest of the reign is going to go of that king, but also how the whole rest of the nation of Israel is going to perform. Every single king of Israel and Judah begins with this description, every single one of them. And some of them, that's all you know. That's it. Then also it moves on to the next one. And it's all you need to know. It's sufficient information. And what follows, this is what's remarkable. So not only do the policies change when the king acts wickedly, the nation changes. The whole nation. And even more remarkable, you get a king like um, Hezekiah who repents and lives righteously and the whole nation changes righteously. You see it both ways over and over again in Israel's lives. Their obedience to God follows the king. 
And it's the most important information God gives you about every single one of them. And there's so many, we don't know their policies. We don't know how they were at commanding armies. We don't know what kind of CEO they were. Were they responsible with money? We don't know. We know how every single one of them behaved. We know about their character. We know about their example. And what the head of state is, they're an example of what it means to be a citizen of that nation. Just like a pastor is an example to the congregation. First Peter 5, Peter tells the elders of the church to be examples to your flock. You should be able to look at your pastor's life, and we are so blessed in this with Walnut Creek, and know how to live righteously. The king is the same for a nation. What does it mean to be an Israelite? What does it mean to be a Babylonian? What does it mean to be an American? And this isn't a loan to Israel. I want to show you a Gentile nation too. We're going to go to the book of Jonah. We're going to go see a character named the king of Nineveh. And we've studied Jonah here. We know how wicked the nation of Assyria was. Nineveh is the capital city. It's a wicked place. And we know that the king's behavior impacts wickedness. So I'm going to take the assumption we're dealing with a pretty wicked king here. This isn't a righteous man. Watch this. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh, by order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone called out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from disaster. He had threatened to do to them. And he did not do it. God can't be fooled. Something authentic happened in the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And the king begins this leading by example. He took off his royal robe, symbolizing humility, put on sackcloth and repentant in ashes. And he says, perhaps God who's merciful, he led his people. He says, follow me in this. Perhaps this merciful God will repent. The power of the king to lead people to the Lord is unbelievable. You see it time and time again in history. And you see it right here. Right here, this king led his people to repentance. And they followed, and God can't be fooled. It was authentic. It wasn't, oh my goodness, we're going to get judged. I better hurry up and repent. It was authentic change. We see this in World War II with King George VI of England. The United Kingdom, the head of state, is still the British monarch. And for our friendly neighbors to the north, for the Canadians, it's the British monarch. And the monarch is supposed to live, what does it mean to be British? And many today think, oh, the monarch doesn't matter. We matter a great deal. Winston Churchill says it was King George VI that should get the main credit for the victory of the British people in World War II. You notice a poster right next to him that you've probably seen in pop culture. Keep calm and carry on. 
The crown at the top of that poster means is an official message from the king himself. King George VI had these ordered up. And this is what was going on. France had fallen to Nazi Germany. United States was neutral. Britain was alone. The German army had no problem crushing the British army in France. They have fled. And they know they have no hope against the German army. And they are simply waiting for the Germans to invade. Night after night, the German Air Force was bombing the capital city of London. The people of Great Britain, including the Prime Minister Winston Churchill, bade King George VI to leave the capital city of London and go to Canada to command the remaining imperial forces. Britain's still an empire at this time. There's a, there is an army in, in Canada, in India, South Africa, Australia. You need to command the rest of the imperial forces. King George VI says no. What hope is there for England if the king's no longer in England? Night after night, the city be bombed. Nine times Buckingham Palace, where he lived, was bombed. And every morning, King George VI would get up with his fellow Londoners, and he'd begin searching the rubble, trying to find survivors. When they asked King, why are you doing this? He says that the king of kings came to serve. How much more should the king of England serve? And Winston Churchill says it was the service and the humbleness and the laying down of the life of the king that got the British people going years before the United States entered and it kept their spirits afloat. But as the scene looked darker and darker and darker, King George VI ordered 20,000 of these posters to be printed. And he says, you don't post them up until the German army is on the outskirts of London. And I want this to be my final message to my people. When it seems like all hope is gone and there's nothing left, you keep calm and carry on. You keep calm and carry on. There's a spiritual message. The head of state led his nation through one of the darkest hours and he had no power of the military. He had no power over taxes. He had no power over the law. He had no power of the court system, none. But he led the British people. Because the head of state matters greatly. Today, that rests with your Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds and the President of the United States, Donald Trump. The example of character in the nation. The picture of President Theodore Roosevelt here. Theodore Roosevelt understood this power better than most American presidents. He called it the bully pulpit of the United States. He says, Congress will not work with me to break up trusts. And this is when America is controlled by monopolies. I'll take it to the people. I'll use the bully pulpit and the American president will speak to the people and the people will change the heart of Congress and will break up the trusts. And he did it. The Antitrust Act passed. Rockefeller was broken up into five companies as a result. Abraham Lincoln understood this when 35 times he called America to repentance. The National Day of Prayer's original name is the National Day of Humiliation, founded by President Lincoln, saying we as a nation need to humble ourselves before the Lord and repent for the sins of slavery. And he believed the Civil War was God judging the nation. He believed it. And you can read his second inaugural address. I encourage you to do so. It's right in there, in his second inaugural address. Both sides have prayed to the same God and he's not on either of our sides and he's answered neither of our prayers because he's judging us. 
bleed it so much so 35 times. And something spiritual happened in America. 13th, 14th, and 15th memo would have passed within five years, voted on by southern states who did not allow women or African Americans to vote yet, meaning white southern men voted in slavery, give blacks equality under the law and the right to vote. Something happened. Never, ever, ever underestimate the power of the head of state. The sovereign. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a house at Jerusalem and Judah. They're who own the government. That's who it is. It's who owns the place. King Cyrus says the Lord gave it to him. The United States of America, our country, did something very crazy that's not so crazy anymore, but it was at the time. They gave it to the people. We the people, the United States of America, first part of our Constitution. So who's the sovereign? It's you. So is, are the people the king in America? They are in one-sixth of the powers. You didn't get to set the speed limit you went here today. You didn't get to set the traffic ticket that you would get if you went over the speed limit. Now that you get to determine the verdict in the courtroom, you don't have those powers. But you do get to, set, you do get to vote for the one who sets the speed limit. That's what you get to do. And you get to vote for the sheriff who enforces the speed limit. You're the sovereign. And people didn't think this government would work because they say wicked people will always vote for a wicked government. Where every now and then under a monarchy, sometimes you get lucky and Manasseh has a grandson named Josiah and every now and then you get lucky out. But a, a, a republic? The people can't vote for righteous people. On America's 150th birthday, President Calvin Coolidge dedicated a statue to why America survived for 150 years. And he dedicated it to a man named Sir Francis Asbury. Sir Francis Asbury, now this isn't your modern day Methodist church, but this was a Methodist church in the 1800s, raised up 4,000 pastors in his life. 4,000 and what happened was John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, came to America and he says, the reason why the American church is so sick, it has sick shepherds. And if the pastor doesn't know the way to salvation, how is he going to teach his flock the way to salvation? We need to raise up more ministers. So he said, Sir Francis Asbury, in his life, he raised up 4,000 ministers who became known as the circuit riders. And these individuals would meet every morning for five hours and pray and issue writings and they would go throughout the Midwest and plant churches. Calvin Coolidge says the United States of America was able to survive these 150 years because the gospel of Jesus Christ was brought to the sovereign. And the sovereign being won over by the gospel is the necessity for any republic to stand. The greatest defender of this republic is the church of Jesus Christ. That holds true today. The greatest service we can bring our government is everyday people is to win people to Jesus. That's the only way. People will never choose righteousness apart from Christ. It's the greatest contribution we bring to our nation. Sir Francis Asbury brought it here and he was honored for it. So lastly, as we prepare to close, I want to look at the shepherd king, Jesus, the king of kings. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and the only sovereign. 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is not only the head of church, he's the head of government. As Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Our kings today must imitate Jesus if they're going to have any hope of governing sovereignly. John 10, 10 through 13 says, A thief only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come so you may have life and have an abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. There's three types of leaders. The hireling, the thief, and the shepherd. We will vote for one of those three. And we often intertwine between the three of them. In the political world, the hireling is the politician. They're there to people please and get reelected and they'll do whatever it takes to keep you happy. Whatever it takes. The thief is the tyrant. They're there for power. And they'll do whatever it takes to keep it. That means being nice to you or that means threatening you. They'll do whatever it takes to keep power. They start with nice and they move to threats when nice doesn't work. And lastly, the shepherds, the statesmen. They're the ones that's there to lay down their lives for the people. And I want you to understand this with your governing authorities, and this is why we got to give them grace, brothers and sisters. What we know about people is that people's hearts are tended towards wickedness and not righteousness. And apart from Christ, that's where they are. Our governing authorities are put in the place that they have to govern righteously and be voted for by people that disagree with them. That is a tough job. Meaning if you're going to govern righteously, you're going to risk re-election every single time. But a shepherd says, like Moses, I care more about the people than I care about me. If Moses was living for the people, he would have quit on day one, but he didn't quit. He finished the job because he's looking for another reward and the reward in the life to come. That's what our kings desperately must do today. They must look to the life to come. Because otherwise in a republic that has not been won over by the gospel, it is hard to govern righteously and come back. So practical application to close. Remember the king matters. But only one king is savior. Don't fall in either ditch. One ditch is the king doesn't matter, government doesn't matter, I'm going to be apathetic. God doesn't let you be apathetic. The Bible doesn't allow it. But the king will never be your savior. Your hope will never fly in on Air Force One, ever. It never will. Neither will it serve in Terrace Hill. Only one king is savior. Number two, be a light. How can you be a light in this country? Show honor to the king Pray for the king and submit to him. If our brothers and sisters before us thousands of years ago can show honor to Nero, you can show honor to President Donald Trump and to whomever follows him. You can do it. They did it. And pray. Pray for them. We're commanded to. Pray for Mayor County of Des Moines. Pray for Mayor, or excuse me, Governor Kim Reynolds as she leads our state, and pray for Donald Trump as he's the state of the nation. Pray for them. And lastly, choose well. 
break down these six powers of the king. There's a piece of paper by the door that has the six powers on there. And discern through each of those responsibilities as you vote and choose well. You are the nation's sovereign. Let's pray. Close this time. God, just thank you so much for this opportunity just to go through your word. God, we just barely scratched the surface of what your word says about kings. We thank you that you loved us enough to send us a government, but you also loved us enough that our salvation doesn't depend on it. You truly are a merciful and loving God. Lord, let us as a church reflect you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. The Shepherd King Podcast is brought to you by the Church Ambassador Network, a ministry of the Family Leader Foundation that inspires the church to engage government for the advance of God's kingdom. For more information about the Church Ambassador Network, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, thefamilyleader.com backslash church.